0: The name of this story is Packing Parachutes. During the end of the 1960s and during the early 1970s, the United States of America fought in the Vietnam War. During this war, the United States lost tens of thousands of soldiers. There were many different ways a soldier could fight in the war, but one of the most exciting jobs was to be a Navy fighter. There was a huge battleship called the Kitty Hawk and on this Kitty Hawk was a great Navy fighter pilot named Charlie Plum. Charlie Plum was a very famous fighter pilot to the point where he had flown 74 missions and all of them were successful. He had one more mission to fly. He was very confident that this final mission would be successful just like all the others. But to his shock, when he was over enemy territory, his plane was shot down and it exploded. He would have died, except he was able to use the parachute that was part of that plane. And that saved his life. Unfortunately, he landed in enemy territory. He was immediately captured and thrown into jail where he stayed for five long years. The end of the five years, the war was over. He was finally freed and Captain Plum returned to America. He went through rehabilitation and he became a very famous public speaker. One night after a speech in Kansas City, Captain Plum went to a small restaurant and he was sitting eating alone. He suddenly felt uncomfortable. He turned around and he noticed that a man nearby was staring at him. And when he caught the eye of that man who was staring, that fellow came over to him and said, Are you Captain Plum? Captain Plum said, Yes, sir. He said, You're the Navy fighter pilot from the Kitty Hawk who flew all those successful missions? Captain Plum said, Yes, sir. How do you know all this? And the gentleman said, I was a sailor on the Kitty Hawk, and I was the one who packed your parachute, the one that saved your life. Captain Plum was astonished and he asked him so many questions until he was certain that this man was really a sailor on the Kitty Hawk. With tears in his eyes, he thanked the sailor from the bottom of his heart. He said, I've been praying for you all this time, though I didn't even know who you were. Because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be standing here today. I can't thank you enough. The two got into a wonderful discussion and after a while they parted ways. Later that night, Captain Plum writes that he felt so bad. He couldn't stop thinking about this unusual meeting with a sailor who had saved his life. He thought, I must have seen that sailor on the Kitty Hawk a hundred times, but not once did I ever say hello or thank him. And if I hadn't met him today, I would never give him the courtesy that he deserves. Captain Plum learned a valuable lesson. And that's the lesson that we want to learn from this great story. It applies to each and every one of us. There are so many people out there who pack our parachutes, but so many times we take them for granted. But these people, they deserve our That's what we learned from this beautiful story of Captain Plum. So let's remember to say thank you. To say thank you to those who do us a favor. Thank you to our parents. Thank you to our teachers. Thank you to the chazan and shul, the rebbe or the Mora who gives a class the counselor in camp, anyone who enhances our lives. We have to remember they all pack our parachutes, and we owe them the chesed of saying thank you for the wonderful chesedim they have done for us. The name of this story is Water, Water Everywhere. Many years ago, in the early 1900s, there was a little town in the country of Belarus. This town was called Timkovich. The Yiddish children who lived in Timkovich would go to a cheder, but it was very old fashioned. There were no lights at night in this town, so all the boys had to leave school almost right after it got dark. And they each carried little lanterns to light their way as they were making their way home. Well, in springtime in Timkovich, it was still light when the boys walked home from Cheder. Some of the boys liked to stop on their way home and jump into the river for a little swim. There was a little hill in the water that the boys would like to stand on so that their feet were in the water, but the rest of their bodies were out of the water as they stood on that little hill. One day, a little boy named Moshe Aaron Peleof jumped into the shallow part of the water but he couldn't swim and suddenly there was a strong current in the part of the river where he was standing it drew him forcefully into the middle of the river where the other boys were swimming and he got very frightened and he began to flail around with his hands until his head went under the water luckily there was an older boy swimming near my who noticed the danger this boy his name was mayor Kenneth thompson he swam over right away Grabbed Moshe Aaron by the hair and yanked him back to shore, saving his life. When he caught his breath, Moshe Aaron turned to his friend Mayer and he said, I can't believe you saved my life. I will always be grateful to you. A short time later, unfortunately, the Yidden had to leave Belarus, and eventually, all the Jewish families who survived the Holocaust and the concentration camps were able to make their way to America. Most of those families had no connection to each other. Moshe Aaron, though, not only survived the war and came to America, but he became a big Talmud Chacham, and eventually he became the Rosh Yeshiva and a prominent Yeshiva. Every year by registration, many people wanted to get into Rabbi Peleev's shir, but the Yeshiva was already overcrowded, and it was hard to get in, especially to Rabbi Moshe Aaron's shir. One day, Rabbi Meir Konotovsky, who also ended up in America, came to try to get his son, Svihish into that class. But the Palayoffs and the Konotovskys hadn't seen each other for decades. And when he came to register his son, the registrar at the yeshiva said, I'm so sorry, we're overcrowded. There's no room for him. But Mayor Konotovsky protested, and he said, no, I want my son to go into Rabbi Palayoff's year." But the gentleman in the office said, "There's simply no room." But Mayer didn't give up. He went to Rabbi Moshe Aaron's class and he said, "I would like to introduce myself to you. I'm not sure if you remember me." Moshe Aaron said, "Well, I come from Belarus. Is that where you come from?" Mayer said, "Yes, that's exactly where I come from. And do you remember the incident in which you almost drowned?" Well, at that point, Rabbi Moshe Aron's face turned white, and he said, how do you know about that? And Mayor responded, I am Mayor Konotovsky. We were friends in those years, many, many years ago. You may not remember me, but I was the one who saved you. And now I would like a favor in return. Would you accept my son, Svihish into your shir, into your class? Of course, Rabbi Moshe Aron Peleev took him in. And Svi Hirsch became a big Talmud Chacham. Years later upon seeing that, his father Meir said, I always knew that there was a reason that Hashem arranged that I should have the merit to save this person. I always thought that the special merit was because he was going to be a big Talmud Chacham, And now I see it's even more than that. It was so that my son should be able to have a great Rebbe and he also would become a great Talmud Chacham. If we examine this great story, we can see that by saving Moshe Aaron from the water, Meir enabled his own son to learn Torah. And you know something? The Torah is also called water. Chazal teaches us, Ein Mayim Ella Torah." Mayim, water, is a reference to Torah because just like water, slides down the mountain, all the way to the bottom. Same thing is with Torah. The ones who really retain Torah are the ones that are humble. Somebody who's haughty and high and thinks he's special like the big mountain, the Torah slides away from that person. And you know something? Chazal explained, Mayim, water gives us sustenance, just like the Torah gives us sustenance. Therefore, it makes sense that because mayor kanatowski saved Rabbi Moshe Aaron from the water when he was a little boy Moshe Aaron was able to learn with mayor kanatowski's son Svihersh and make him a big Tamad Chacham and provide water for him which was taira water water everywhere it was the first night of sheva brachos in Yerushalayim it was a beautiful event and all the guests waited eagerly for the chassan's speech. Finally, the chassan, whose name was Naftali, stood up and began to give a speech that the guests would never forget. The chassan began. I want to share with you the reason I decided to dedicate my life to the study of Torah. When I was in the fifth grade many years ago, a boy in my class was given a very beautiful watch by his mother. Let's call the boy Shmuel. When Shmuel received this watch, his mother was thrilled to give it to him, but she gave it to him with one warning. Never bring it to school, because Shalom it could get lost or damaged. Unfortunately, Shmuel did not listen to the warning, and the very next day, he brought it into school to show his beautiful watch to all his friends. All the boys (gasps) were breathless with admiration and some were even a little jealous of Shmuel for his special watch. Now, even though Shmuel brought the watch to school, he remembered not to dare wear it during recess, where it could break while we all were playing basketball. He left the watch on his desk and he ran outside with his friends. When he came back, however, he was shocked to see that the watch was missing. He searched all around his desk, but his special gift was nowhere to be found. Shmuel was so (laughs) distraught. He ran to the Rebbe and cried, please help me. My mother will be furious that I lost the watch, especially since she warned me not to bring it to school. The Rebbe responded, look, normally i go outside by recess to watch the boys play. But today, I stayed in the classroom, and I can assure you that no one snuck in and took your watch. It must be that one of the boys took it accidentally and put it in their pocket before they left for recess. Don't worry. I'll take care of it when the boys return. When the boys came back to the classroom, the Rebbe stood up and told the class, Boys, I have a very important announcement. We all know that Shmuel came to school today and had a very beautiful watch, but now the watch is missing. The room became very quiet. The boys were all glancing at each other in confusion. There is a chance, the Rebbe said, that maybe one of you picked up the watch to look at it and accidentally put it in your pocket when you left to go out to recess. I want everyone to check their pockets and make sure that the watch is not there. Nobody moved. Rebbe begged, please, I don't want to have to check everyone's pockets. Please check again and make sure that the watch is not in your pocket. Again, nobody moved. The Rebbe sighed and said, I'm sorry, boys, I have no choice. But I need all of you to line up in front of the blackboard. And I'm going to be behind each and every one of you. Now the boys were so nervous, and they all shuffled up to the front of the room and lined up, worried and confused. The Rebbe began to search through the pockets of every boy. At this point in the story, the chassan Naftali hesitated. Then he continued, saying, the fifth boy the Rebbe checked was me. And when he reached into my pocket, he found the watch. I was so scared, continued Naftali, I didn't want all the boys to see that it was in my pocket all this time. I waited for the Rebbe to exclaim that he had caught the robber, or to stop his search right there so that everyone would know that he found the watch with me. But even as I braced myself, my Rebbe just continued down the line, searching the pockets of each and every boy, even though I knew that he already had found the watch. At the end of the search, the Rebbe said quietly, You can all sit down. I have to watch. And as we filed past him, the Rebbe didn't even glance in my direction to show that it was me. I sank into my seat, so relieved, more relieved than I had ever been in my entire life. Naftali paused and said, it was then that I realized what the Rebbe did for me that day. What he did for me that day was so special. He saved my dignity. If he would have announced that I had stolen the watch or even hinted that he found it with me, I would have been called a goner and a robber for the rest of the year. I would have been incredibly humiliated. What my Rebbe did was one of the most beautiful things someone had ever done for me, and I was so grateful. From that day on, I decided that I wanted to grow up to be just like my Rebbe. And my Rebbe was an incredible Talmud Chacham who devoted his life to learning Torah. So that's why you see me today. Here in Yerushalayim, learning, devoting my life to the study of Torah. Naftali finished his story with tears in his eyes. The listeners were moved beyond words. After hearing the story, they realized that every person is a role model. And when you do something as extraordinary as what Naftali's Rebbe did that day, you can have such a huge impression on someone without even knowing it. This is such a beautiful story because it teaches us the sensitivity and the chesed that the Rebbe showed and did that day. And when you do a chesed for somebody else, you never know how far the implications can be because when you do a chesed for someone, you make them feel so special and someday they're going to do chesed for. The name of this story is called Covered. This beautiful story took place many, many, many years ago in an old shul in Berlin, in Germany. In this shul named Adas Yisrael, they were very particular about their minhagim, their customs. That's how the German people were. They were very meticulous about every custom and they kept them at the different times of the year. On Shabbos and Yonza, for example, the Rav of the Shul would wear a very special high yarmulke. However, on Cholamayid, which wasn't really on the level of Shabbos and Yantif, he wore a specific kind of top hat, a tall top hat. So this story is about one day in the year where the minute could cause confusion, as you will see. It was Hashanah Rabbah. So is Hashanah Rabbah like a Yontif, or is Hashanah Rabbah like Cholamayid? The two Rabbanim of that shul, Rab Ezra Monk and Rav Meir Hildesheimer, they came in on Hashanah Rabbah to shul. What happened was that they went to their seats, they had a little office behind their seat, so they went into that office, they came out, and they couldn't see each other because there was a big orange Kedish right between their seats. And what happened was that everybody was smiling because they saw that Rab Ezra Monk was wearing a tall top hat. Obviously, he considered it more like Chalamayi. Rav Meir Hildesheimer was wearing that special yarmulke. Obviously, he felt that Hashanah Rabbah was more like Yeltef and Shabbos. When the shul came to Laini, Kriya Satera, the Gabbai gave one of the Rabbonim Hagba and he gave the other of Galila. Now, this was the first time as they walked towards the middle Bima to do Hagba and Galila, they saw each other. Now they smiled at each other, because Rav Monk, who was wearing the top hat, saw that Rav Hildesheimer was wearing the special yarmulke. And Rav Hildesheimer, who was wearing the yarmulke, saw that Rav Monk was wearing the top hat. They didn't say anything to each other. They did Bangalila and they walked back to their seats. And now you would not believe what happened right before Musaf. Everybody was watching them. They each went back into their offices behind their seats. And now when Rav Mung came out, he was not wearing his high hat. He was wearing a yarmulke because he wanted to give honor to Rav Hildesheimer. And Rav Hildesheimer, he came back. He switched his special yarmulke and now he was wearing the tall hat because each one was giving honor to the other person. And they were doing a chesed by showing that that's how you're supposed to passkin. That's how you rule. Like the other person, not like he thought. It was an incredible display of Dere Cheretz in Chesed. The COVID that they gave each other is something we can all learn about. And that's what Chesed is all about, recognizing the dignity of another person. When you show someone else recognition, you make them feel special and valued. And all this we can learn from Rav Monk and Rav Mayer Hildesheimer. I just want to thank Rav Nochem Aronson from Manchester who told me this story. It was his grandfather, Mr. Max Sinison, who was the first director of that school, who told everyone the story, and we know it now for generations. This story is called When Shia Ran Home. There was a boy named Shaya. He was a very sweet boy, but he had some learning disabilities. During the week, he would attend a school called Khush that specialized in teaching children with certain disabilities. But on Sundays, he went to Yeshiva Darkei Torah in Far Rockaway, New York. One Sunday, Shia and his father were in Far Rockaway to attend the Yeshiva, and they saw a group of boys in the middle of a baseball game. Shia was not so athletic, but he wanted so badly to be included in that baseball game. He wanted to feel important as well. He begged his father, please try to get me into the game. His father agreed to try and he walked over to one of the boys in the field and he said, do you think my Shia could play a little along with you? Maybe he could get into the game for a while. Everyone knew that Shia was not a good ball player, but it happened that it was already the seventh inning of the game and this team that was in the field was losing by six runs. They didn't have much of a chance to win the game so the boy nodded his head and then he added okay shia can join us and if we can we'll try to arrange it that he gets up to bat in the ninth inning of course shia and his father were so thrilled they were so happy and suddenly the game shifted in the bottom of the eighth inning shia's team scored a few runs and the game was getting much closer And before they knew it, it was the bottom of the ninth inning and the team was only three runs behind. This team had the bases loaded. It was two outs. The tension was running high. And suddenly everyone realized that it was Shia's turn to bat. Well, how could they let him bat right now with the bases loaded and two outs? But they had promised him. And so with two outs and the bases loaded, they actually sent Shia to home plate. Trembling with excitement, Shia picked up the bat and got ready to swing. Shia swung with all his might, but he missed it miserably. Strike one. One of his teammates had pity on him, and so he came over to hold the bat together with Shia. The pitcher noticed this, and he stepped in a bit closer. And he tossed the ball so softly and carefully, and he threw him an easy pitch. But again, Shia struck at the ball and he missed. Shia had only one more chance and if he didn't make it, his team would lose the game. This time, when the pitcher threw the ball, Shia and his friend managed to hit a ground ball right to the pitcher. Now, the pitcher could easily have picked it up and thrown it straight to first base getting Shia out and that would have been the end of the game. But instead, without a moment's hesitation, the pitcher threw the ball way over the first baseman's head into right field. And all the boys started shouting, "Shia run to first, Shire run to first. He was so excited he never ran to first base in his life. By now, the right fielder had the ball and he understood exactly what the pitcher had meant to do. So instead of throwing the ball to second base, And getting Shia out, he threw the ball way over the third baseman's head. And everybody was yelling, Shia, run to second. Shia, run to second. Meanwhile, the boys who had been on the bases were scoring runs as Shia raced to third. And he was being urged on by the kids on both teams. Shia ran faster than he ever ran in his whole life. And by now, as he rounded third, boys from both teams, ran behind him, and everybody was yelling, "Shia, run home, Shia, run home. He was so breathless with excitement. He ran the last few feet, and he touched home plate, hardly believing that he had just hit the winning Grand Slam. Everyone picked him up on their shoulders. He was like a hero, and Shire felt like a millionaire You know, this is one of the greatest stories that I know because it's so moving, the chesed, that these boys did to Shia. And you know what we can learn from here? We all know that often the popular athletic kids get all the attention. There's so many children that are not so athletic and they're not so capable. And they also feel they would like to be recognized and they deserve to feel special. That's the gift that the boys of Yeshiva Daqatera gave to Shia. They took a boy who was never in the spotlight, and they made him feel like a hero. And you know something? Every time Shia's father would tell the story, tears would roll down his cheeks, and he would say, those boys in the school, that day they reached their perfection when they let my Shia run home.